welcome to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. Hello, I'm Sarah Braley, Managing Editor of North Star Meetings Group. The growth of digital and hybrid events in 2020 has removed some barriers faced by attendees with physical disabilities at in-person meetings. But while digital gatherings provide a new level of accessibility, outlined in a recent episode of Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals, they also present new challenges for some attendees which meeting planners should address. To delve deeper into creating digital events that make joining in a breeze, we spoke with Samantha Evans, CAE, Certification Manager for the International Association of Accessibility Professionals, who is an accessibility advocate and a specialist in certification and credentials. In this episode, she outlines why planners need to think about how participants are accessing their events from the earliest planning stages, while selecting a platform provider, making staffing decisions, and more. Evans also provides actionable steps every meeting planner should take to ensure all attendees feel welcome. Thank you for joining us, Samantha. Let's start with a general question and then dive into some of the nitty gritty on choosing a platform and registration needs. How has the meetings landscape changed for the disabled attendee in 2020? Sarah, I think it's really interesting and we're really excited about the opportunity to have digital, virtual or hybrid events because that allows for people that encounter challenges with travel for a lot of reasons to engage and become an attendee and an active member. So digital events offer a lot of great opportunities but we have the same considerations to take into take into our planning needs that we would have for physical space events when we visit a facility or a space or a site visit. And that has to do with digital accessibility and whether or not a person who uses assistive technology or relies on technology to relay what others might take in with their sight or hearing, whether or not those platforms allow that person to engage. And before they can even engage in the meeting, can they get to the registration page and, and say, I want to come to your event? And these are things that planners are possibly not realizing that they need to think about. They are, because if you haven't worked in the world of accessibility, making things accessible to people, no matter what their technology choices or preferences are. So what are the challenges with the digital platforms that people are choosing? I mean, you and I are talking on Zoom right now, so... Does it have what it needs? Zoom is one of the more accessible platforms. So when we talk about accessibility, we have to talk about what is an assistive technology? What does that mean? You don't have to be a technology specialist to understand it. It means that people use things like computers to read content to them from what's presented on the screen or the computer or their mobile device, or they rely on captions to relay what's displayed in audio terms and also what's visually displayed in audio descriptions. But all computer products, apps, and platforms are not created equally. Zoom is one of the platforms that is relatively accessible. You can use it with a keyboard. You don't have to have a mouse. You don't have to have vision. There are keyboard shortcuts to do everything in Zoom with the exception of some polling options. But it's accessible for somebody, for example, for someone who's blind, who uses a screen reader to engage with digital content. But not all websites 
and CMSs or platforms or registration tools are accessible. So that means that somebody with a disability that uses assistive technology would have to go get a sighted person or somebody that can use a mouse to do the actual input and engagement. Assessing whether or not your platform is accessible means the vendor needs to be able to tell you whether or not they meet the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, WCAG. These are the guidelines for digital information and communication technologies that have been established for about 25 years. It's what ADA refers to. If you talk to people being 508 compliant for technology, WCAG is the standard. It's what's, what people refer to. And it has levels A, AA, and AAA about how usable and accessible digital content is. So your vendor should be able to answer, we're accessible or compliant to WCAG AA or single A or AAA, or if they scratch their head and say, I don't know what you're talking about, I'll have to get back to you, then that's likely going to be what a salesperson says. But they need to be able to tell you, because if you have a DEI, a diversity, equity, and inclusion statement for your organization or your customer, and they intend to be equitable for people with disabilities, the digital technologies they use must be accessible. So the first piece is to ask your vendor or your considered vendors, are they accessible? Can people who use assistive technologies use their product? Whether or not they know enough to answer correctly is a different story. <laughs> That's a bigger conversation. But the questions that you would ask is, can somebody use a keyboard to navigate everything in your product? Can they navigate the meeting rooms and the, the breakout rooms and the networking opportunity? Can they use a keyboard to do all of that versus a mouse? Do all of your meeting rooms provide the opportunity for captions? And can we provide live captions? Because artificial intelligence is great, but captions need to be equitable. So there are technologies available that can show you who is speaking and who... It's not a technology. Or, it's a human. It's an it's actual a, human. a it card is. captionist that has mm -hmm. what looks like a in courtroom reporting. You might have seen a stenographer with, with 12 keys, you know, fingers rapidly flying. That's the same thing. A card captionist identifies the speaker, punctuation, grammar and sounds so that what's relayed in captions is equitable in text for what's being displayed on the screen. So it's an extra person that you need to have on your team. For every room, for every session, which is why all of this planning goes back to concept, site visit, and tools and resources. So captions are one thing that we always think about. People always think they automatically say, you know, we want to be inclusive. Nobody wants to be excluding people. So things that come to mind first are blind people who use assistive technology, deaf people or hard of hearing people who use captions, and sign language interpreters. And the other thing to consider is that sign language interpreters and captions are not interchangeable. Not everybody who's deaf uses sign language. But here's your thing to ask your vendor. Does your platform allow us to pin or highlight a sign language interpreter along with the speakers, presenters, or slides in every room at a size where the viewer can watch the sign language displayed in an appropriate level so they can discern what's happening with the hands and the spoken translations? And I also read that they need to be able to read the lips of the sign language interpreter. Well, People who, who read lips, and, and a lot of people who are deaf and hard of hearing read lips, a lot of people who are losing hearing read lips. But the challenge when you look at 
digital presentations is when you have a panel of maybe eight or nine people speaking, those boxes get really, really small. And that means the faces get really, really small. And that means the lips get really, really small. Not all sign language interpreters use, they don't all use lips to relay. They may only sign and use their facial expressions to relay the intent or the intensity or the emotion in what's being spoken. So if you have attendees who read lips, then they need to be able to see visually, clearly, the face of the speakers. And so a lot of visual plat- or digital platforms have like a max of four. They can display at any one time. Sometimes those four speakers have to get um, ousted for a sign language interpreter because the platforms don't allow for the accessibility of a sign language interpreter to be included. The other thing about captions is that they have to be accurate which artificial, even human captioning is not perfect, but it's better than artificial intelligence. But it also has to match what's being spoken in a timely manner. No more than a three second delay from what's spoken to what displays in the captions. So just consider if you were to turn your volume off on most events and read the captions, if it's a minute late for what's being spoken, then you're trying to watch the read the text and see what's happening on the screen and they're not synced, they're not synchronized. So that produces a very different experience for anybody that relies on captions. Especially if you're changing slides at the same time, Mm -hmm. so that if you're jumping from one thought to the next, you're going to be behind what's going on. So we have to consider asking your vendor for your platform, are you accessible? Can people who use assistive technology engage? Can you use a keyboard? Does it require mouse? Does it require vision to see? Or do you have to click? If you have to click, that means you have to use a mouse and you can't use a keyboard or other assistive tech. Do they support language interpreters? Do they support captions? And do they support live captions? In every room, there are a lot of great platforms, but many of them do not provide for closed captions in breakout rooms. So yes, there are many things, many platforms that do include captions. Whether or not they're accurate and useful captions is another story. That can be really daunting. You're thinking, oh my gosh, I'd never thought about these things. Every day is a great day to start considering accessibility and inclusion. So in the accessibility world, we talk about accessibility should be baked right in. If you're making blueberry muffins and you don't put the blueberries in your muffin mix, when you get them out, if you're trying to cram blueberries into the muffins after the fact, you kind of destroy the muffins and they're not really blueberry muffins anymore. So You need to build accessibility into your concept and your planning, including your platforms and designs. But then we got to talk about registration. So you've made your best efforts or you're already under contract. Some platforms will allow you to add captioning in for an additional cost. But if you have a DEI statement about diversity, equity, and inclusion that says people of all abilities are disabled people, then you need to bake that into your your meeting planning and events. What is a DEI statement? Diversity, equity, and inclusion is become a really hot topic in 2020 because we've started to recognize verbally out loud and upfront the systemic oppression and and the lack of equity and lack of inclusion for a variety of groups of people. We most often hear racial, gender, and orientation as well as age and ethnicity and religious inclusion, but disabled people are one of those categories and disability requires some assistive technology. Sometimes it's low tech, sometimes it's high tech, but DEI statements, if you have one, should also apply to how you plan your events and meetings to be inclusive for people with disabilities. This brings up a question that I had that you've partially answered before. A planner who is used to doing physical events, 
hasn't really thought of as they make this swing in 2020. So ADA covers all of this, right? The Americans with Disabilities Act. So we used to talk about ADA compliance for meetings. We knew to have doors that were propped open and make sure there's elevator access, there's accessible parking. We knew about these things in events, table setups and not having, you know, tablecloths that drape to or chairs and tables too close together for people who use wheelchairs or scooters. We know about all of those things in event planning for fiscal space, but we have to consider the same in digital accessibility for virtual events and hybrid events. So let's talk about the registration page, the registration process. All of us are, you know, cited and able. We just go to the page, we click where we need to, we fill in the boxes. What does this mean for somebody who needs to use assistive technologies? So what needs to happen on a registration page is that you need to be able to use a keyboard and use your tab keys to go from topic area at the top, your URL, to what your first area of input is. It won't go to your text field with your descriptions, but it should go to the first form field box, checkbox, radio selection box, where you're supposed to input something or engage with the page. If it doesn't highlight, and also for people who have sight and visual acuity, you should also see a label that pops up and displays on the web page. This is what an assistive technology tool would read to the person using AT. So if there's not a label that displays on that form field that's supposed to be your name or your credit card, the person using AT isn't going to know what they're expected to input. So we've already got a challenge there. <laughs> so there are, there are lots of really great tools that are kind of freebies that are offered to help you do an assessment to look at your web pages and determine if they're accessible. And a lot of that is underlying code. Some of it you can fix if you have access to the back end of CSS or your product support team does to make sure that form field labels are, are labeled. Any kind of an image that's decorative in nature or if it displays something that's supposed to tell the story has to have alternative text with it so that whatever you're displaying visually can be relayed to somebody who doesn't use their eyes to take in information. The challenge is if you use your tab key on your computer or your arrows and you can't get to those form fields at all, then somebody who uses AT can't get to those form fields at all. <laughs> so they can't start to try to register. And this covers both someone who can't navigate without the assistive tools, but also somebody who can't see them mm -hmm. or who can't hear what's being spoken to them from the page. Correct. And we're also talking about like drop down menus. Yeah. And so if you've never used or, or listened to or watched someone use a screen reader, consider all the things that you take in visually that you scroll through visually on drop-down menus. They have to listen to every single one of those words. If you're an AT user, you're used to that. You're like, yeah, 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 I, am, I live in Delaware, so I'm just going to go da 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 d Delaware. So they'll listen to it and understand that. But there are some elements when you include all those drop-downs or matrices or drag-and-drop elements, a lot of that when it gets to that interactive mode, some of that content is not coded for accessibility, which means it's not going to be usable. 
So a quick usability test of your platform, asking your vendor if it's not your product, is this accessible? Using a product like WebAIM Wave is a free resource to look at tools. W-E-B-A-I-M Wave as in the ocean waves. WebAIM Wave is a great tool to look at a web page and get a quick glance at an overview of accessibility. It'll tell you anything that's a big red flag and, it, and it'll tell you what it means, what the challenge is and how to fix it. If pages aren't coded correctly, you can't get to those elements to interact with the page. So we're talking having the form, the field, and right above it, it says first name, last name, mm -hmm. address. And without those labels, a person can't make their way through the form. Right. They could they could guess because they could say, oh, I see one, two, three in order before address. That's probably my name. So you learn, if you're an AT user, people learn what to expect and what not to expect and how they might circumvent what they think is supposed to be there. What's but that's a, lot of, that's a lot of cognitive load to put on a person who wants to spend their money and time with you. <laughs> right. Somebody who's willing to come to your event online, you don't want to make them have a hard time getting through all this. Right. We're not even talking about the platform. We're just talking about, I want to Come I want to go. Event. I want to go. I want to be part of this. <laughs> You've made your case. I want to do this. <laughs> I want to be part of this. Oh, wait, I can't do it. Yeah. What's the next thing that's the problem on the on the registration page? Well, I think it's more of an opportunity for quality engagement. And that's being clear to state explicitly what you include for accessibility and inclusion. We provide captions in every breakout room. We uh, are using a platform that is accessible for assistive technology users. We have the ability to provide sign language interpreter, or, or we're already doing it. So what do, you, what do you already include? What's baked into your meeting planning so that people know if they're reading, they're going to say, okay, great. Let's see what they offer. Then let me tell them, tell them what I need and find out how far in advance I have to register to try to get the accommodation so that I can engage. So clearly state what you offer. What in your planning have you already included that you've already made part of what your event is? When you're thinking about sign language interpreters at a virtual event, if you don't have them in every room as a default, then your candidates or your attendees have to really take a lot of thought into which track do they want to go to? What if they change their mind? How do they coordinate? Because it's not a person walking with them down the hallway from ballroom A to meeting room Dogwood. So <laughs> if you have the capacity to include sign language interpreters and you know that is um, something that you would have provided at your event, then instead of contracting with a sign language interpreter service, which come in a pair for 45 minutes each because they have to trade off and have breaks. You could just have sign language interpreters in each of your rooms and you could clearly state that on your event registration page. So if you don't have it all built in, then what do you do? You need to clearly state what accommodations you're able to provide. So somebody fills out the registration and says, I need a sign language interpreter. Mm -hmm. Do you, you're required to provide that, right? As, if they as, a, are, as they, a reasonable accommodation, yes. Right. Um, so are planners ready to do that? Are they building this? Because that's a, that's a cost. It is. And that's why accessibility has to be part of your budgeting and planning right. from the beginning. And considering what the difference is in digital and hybrid events is where that planning component about accessibility is really important. Because your budget, 
budget can take a really big hit if you haven't planned for it. But when you look at the trade-offs of, I don't have a food and beverage minimum, <laughs> I don't have room rental, I'm not contracting with a huge AV company to do, you know, audio mixer soundboards and, and screens in every room, you have the capacity to build in that accessibility function into your event because you would have had it for one thing <laughs> at your live event. So whether or not meetings are doing it, my guess is probably no. I've spent several weekends recently working with terribly stressed out event planners going, we don't have captioners or sign language interpreters and it's Friday afternoon and our meeting starts on Monday. <laughs> that's when that's when those of us who work in the community are like, who do we know that we know is readily has a lot of flex that so we can help them connect them. So, so anyway, so your accommodations. So what do you put on your accommodations request at registration? What are the accommodations you can guarantee? And by what date do you need to give notice as an attendee requesting those accommodations to ensure that the meeting planner can get those accommodations? Is there an average amount of time that they need? So right now, captionists are just scrambling to try to meet all the need with all the digital and virtual events. So a minimum, the very least, is two weeks. But the likelihood of being able to contract with a captioning team in two weeks is low. If you're not providing captioning in all of your sessions and somebody requires captions, then you need to contract with the captioner, which means you've got to write a contract, secure person, do your tech run through, make sure they're available. Sign language interpreters, contract with them, make sure they can work within the platform that you presumably have a way for the sign language interpreter to be displayed on the screen do a tech run through with your interpreters, make sure they're available in pairs as needed to work with either each room or an attendee and follow them around. But the other thing to consider is that we have to be able to provide accessible digital media to attendees. So if somebody can't see the screen or can't see well on the screen or what's displayed on the screen is a compressed image that's blurry, and can't be enlarged, then we have to provide our content in an accessible media format. Speakers who have proprietary information are not going to share their personal source documents <laughs> because they don't want it to be taken from copyright and edited, whether for you know attribution or not. So most speakers aren't going to give their content away in their source file. But the other thing to consider is we can't force people to use our office product of choice for documents. So the reason portable document formats, PDFs, are available is because I don't have to have PowerPoint to read a PDF of slides. So if you don't have an Office Suite product and you, somebody sends you a PowerPoint file, you might not be able to open those files to look at them. So are PDFs, do they work well enough with text or do you need to keep that in some sort of text format? Because can the PDFs be read well? If they're made accessible, yes. <laughs> so this is where either someone on your your speakers should present their content in an accessible format. If they don't know how to do that, that means you have to request the speaker content in advance and either somebody on your team makes them accessible or you have a partner to, to remediate the content to make it an accessible document. So there are great checkers in Microsoft, in Apple, in Google, and in Adobe to check your documents to see if they're accessible. So a lot of that can be done on your own or in your team, but an accessible version of a document in an electronic document is gonna take some time to have that remediated depending on how complex it is. 
and depending on how intricate text or tables might be that are they're in the document. But we try to, in the accessibility world, not force people to use a technology because that's what we use. We let them use whatever technology they have at hand available or whatever resources that are, are available. Now, when we're talking about, we, I'm going to go back just a second here because sure. you were talking about the closed captioning and get, or and getting those interpreters. Are there contract issues to be aware of? The contract terms with interpreters and captioning services are usually not intricate in nature. They're a service provider. You want to make sure your service level agreement terms are, you know, you will provide this. And if you don't, then what, you know, service level agreement terms. But the biggest challenge right now is timeliness. You can attempt to reach out to a caption service provider three days before an event. (laughs) But be aware, the same way with any other service, emergency late service subscriptions do have upcharges. A lot of large events are including sign language interpreters as a default, as part of their inclusive, their inclusion efforts. So the contracts aren't complicated. They're, I've seen contract terms for both sign language interpreters and for caption service providers, and they're, they're not anything dicey. It's we agree to provide these services on these dates, on these times, this many captionists for this many sessions. So it's much like you would see in an AV contract. And so what I, I, th- I think would be really important if we're talking about inclusion and being thoughtful about your registration process is list out the accommodations you are able to secure and provide upon request versus asking the person with a disability to disclose their disability and say, I need these things the thoughtfulness and and the care and concern that that relays just think about it if if you were to read an event and say wow they've really thought about all the things i need food and beverage when we do in person they've thought about not just dietary restrictions but they've thought about religious considerations and and other health concerns or just food preferences i don't have to say this is a medical need (laughs) so being thoughtful about what you can provide as an accommodation also shows your attendees that you have thought about inclusion and you're not relying on them to display all the things that you should do for them. They can come in and it's already taken care of. If we're thoughtful and and kind in in our intentions, we, we shouldn't require a person to tell us what they need because we will have already thought about what will be needed and allow them to select from our list of considerations. But we do need to say, we'll... The challenge with digital events is people sign up at the last minute, (laughs) you know, (laughs) literally at the last minute. So you can say, and under ADA guidelines, reasonable accommodation also includes a reasonable time to acquire the services. So if it means that if it's not included, you might say these accommodations requests must be submitted two weeks prior to the date of the event and put the date of when that requirement is to ensure we can provide these accommodations. That's fine. I don't think anybody who who uses accommodations as a regular basis would be surprised to read that there's a time frame because they understand what it takes to get those services. Great. I think we're going to stop here for now and we'll move on to a different topic in another podcast. Sure. Um, I want to thank you, Sam, so much for giving us all this insight. It's really terrific. You've given us a website to go to with more information so I will read out what that is, https colon backslash backslash www.accessibility, 
Association, A-S-S-O-C-I-A-T-I-O-N.org, O-R-G, slash North Star Meetings, N-O-R-T-H-S-T-A-R-M-E-E-T-I-N-G-S. And that webpage, it's a deep dive into what to consider as a meeting planner for accessible events. Great. Thank you so much for your time. We'll be I'm in so touch glad. again. Yeah, so I'm so glad we had time to talk a little bit more about opening that digital door to inclusive events and, and meetings online. Thank you very much. Thanks and so we'll much. And we'll chat again. Okay, talk to All you right. soon. Bye-bye. Yep. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review us and check back for new episodes soon.